There's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Hello and welcome back. It's our first Your Politics podcast of the New Doyle term, ahead of what's likely to be a testing winter for all of us. And with me are politics reporter Sandra Hurley and correspondent Michal Lahan and we're used to the formula now, guys, aren't we? The party sink-ins and the run-up yeah. to the resumption of the Doyle. So, Sandra, kick us off. What were your impressions of the opening of this Doyle session? Well, no surprise. We know what we're going to be talking about for the next several months, and we've been talking about it for several months already, and that is the cost of living and energy prices. So we saw a fairly fractious start to leaders' questions yesterday, a bit of levity when the Kian Corla Sean O'Farrell referred to Mary Lou MacDonald, the Sinn Féin leader, as Taoiseach. But after that, you know, you got the battle lines drawn because the big question is, we all know the problem. What is the government going to do about it? The opposition have a different plan to the government. Um, The government is very much on the attack, I think, over the past two days, uh, decrying the Sinn Féin plan to cap energy bills. It is a simple plan. It's an easy sell, I think, to the consumer at the end because they're going to know what their bills are going to be. The problem is, how much is it going to cost? And the government, the Taoiseach and the Tánaiste, Leo Radker, really taking aim, calling it, you know, Leo Radker said it had echoes of the bank guarantee. Taoiseach Michal Martin said it was like writing a blank cheque. They're saying it's just not possible to cost. In theory, they're not ruling it out, but I think they've really made it very clear that they're not going to go in that direction. They're going to go with the energy credits. Uh, But it's a harder sell, I think, to the general population because, sure, they would probably get two or three energy credits, but it's not as simple as capping your bills. So the government really trying to uh, push that point that that it's it's not possible to cost in their view. Yeah, and Michal, in a way, we're going to have a a really interesting winter because we'll have the experiment with the UK next door. They're capping bills there. That's what Liz Truss announced uh, when she took over as Prime Minister. And we'll be trying the credit system here. But government also saying, you know, it'll be rolling on into next year. The question is, will it be enough and will they keep the lights on? Yeah, very much a sense that it's from October to March for the first tranche of this money that cost of living package that they're talking about, which will be in excess of two billion now and it will have the energy credits that looks like they're going to bounce three times in October, December and then February as well. And then after that, kind of this look towards the EU and what exactly is going to happen around a windfall tax that they should some money should come from there for the period after that. Just how much? Very unclear at the moment. At the same time, an expectation within the Department of Finance that they'll have some figure at least for that that they can pencil into the budget uh, in under two weeks. And I suppose as well as the energy credits, government hoping that there's enough money in those once-off payments, whether it's double welfare payments, double child benefit uh, and pensions, that that may add to other layers as well as probably extending uh, medical cards as well. But I think probably the core increases that will be important and there is judging by what the central bank are talking about, recurring spending and the need, as it sees it, uh, for a degree of caution around there. How far will the government go on that other side where they have about 5.7 billion to spend? Because you feel, politically at least, there is going to have to be a substantial increase to the core payments. Yeah, and this is, oh, we're going to be hearing a lot about this, less than two weeks to go to the budget, Sandra, you know, whether we should, because of course, cap, corporation taxes have been 
pouring into the exchequer. So it's the question whether you leave fuel in the tank for next year, that's the Fine Gael argument, or as Sinn Féin say, we can manage to do a lot more this year, a lot more than the government will be delivering in the budget within existing resources. Exactly. The government, I think, has a balancing act for this budget. We all know what the problem is and they need to try and solve that or ease it for households and businesses. On the other side, they have to try and protect the public finances and also not feed into further fueling inflation. And that's the balancing act. And when you listen to some of the sort of the expertise coming from the ESRI and the Irish Fiscal Advisory Council, they're telling the government to target the payments very much, to be very careful, to not um, to very much concentrate on the once-off measures, not feed into core spending and recurring spending so that you're not creating this problem further down mm-hmm. the line. But my sense is that government is under pressure all the time to up the spending in the budget. I think they're probably going to throw a wall of money at it. Michal was talking about they're going to pencil in that figure from the EU. You've got that giant surplus. You've got unspent money in the COVID contingency fund. I think we're looking at one of the biggest budgets for several years. Yeah, as well, in the sense of energy, I mean, there is, as well as the, the problem of the price of energy, the whole energy security question. And Eamon Ryan has to present colleagues with a, that energy security review at some point in the next fortnight or so, uh, which is another debate. And of course, when it comes to conserving energy, uh, as well as that becoming an imperative for households financially, I think government believe for security uh, of energy alone that that's something that has to happen as well. So that there's there's a double reason why perhaps the caps uh, from a government perspective uh, mightn't be a good idea that they would go for the credit reason for that reason as well, to try and keep that consumption of energy lower. And that issue of li- liquid natural, liquefied natural gas and storage of LNG. And I mean, that's a real bone of contention, isn't it, between Fine Gael and the Greens. And you've got, you know, Europe has been filling most of its reserves over the summer, yeah. but we're still talking about the policy. The policy, what one thing that does seem clear is, though, that the private initiative in North Kerry uh, on the Shannon Estuary isn't something that the Greens are ever going to warmly embrace. If this is to happen and there is going to be a storage facility, it's going to be a state run one. Talk to me about, just before we return to taxation matters and weighty budget matters, uh, one other issue in relation to finance. And uh, that's what's going to happen when the coalition changes musical chairs. What's going to happen in finance and why? Michal. Well, it seems all along, I think we kind of knew this, but this is the part of the government formation talks that never made it onto paper. But we did know that Taoiseach was going to rotate. That was written down and always an expectation too that finance would be one of those roles, as well as the AG and as well as the uh, far less lofty role, but important to those in the upper house, the Shannad uh, chair will rotate as well. That won't be controversial. What happens in finance has become because Pascal Donoghue got a big job in Europe along the way, chair of the Eurogroup of Finance Ministers. And as Fine Gael sees it, was very instrumental in ensuring that that corporate uh, tax rate, uh, what Ireland could do with that, that did that didn't rise hugely uh, above the rate that we have. So for all those reasons, Fine Gael want Pascal Dunne to chair that group. Fianna Fáil adamant, though, and the Taoiseach adamant on Morning Ireland during the week, Fianna Fáil will get finance. So then is there a third way? Is there a way that Pascal Dunne who can stay as the boss of the finance ministers in Europe but not be finance minister at home? Fine Gael still seems to think there is. Uh, difficult to see because if my Michael McGrath is the finance minister. He is adamant he's going to attend the Eurogroup meetings and he is going to answer questions on Eurogroup issues in the Dáil. So could Pascal Dunne, it seems then the only thing that could possibly happen is he becomes an ex officio chairman of the Eurogroup of finance ministers. Does he have enough stock? Uh, is his high enough at European level to secure that? Hard to see. 
That's another thing we're going to see in this stall term, isn't it, Sandra? You know, the tensions ahead of the reshuffle mm-hmm. that's going to become, you know, when we have the rotating Taoiseach and so on in December. So that's going to be overhanging everything. Yes, I think big time they'll get the budget out of the way first. Um, all the party leaders are adamant that they haven't had any formal discussions about the switchover, about cabinet roles, about portfolios. I think the expectation would be that the parties mostly will keep the portfolios that they have, but there'll have to be a little bit of changes uh, at that top level. Clearly, the Taoiseach Michal Martin is going to take go somewhere. Could it be foreign affairs? Now, that would mean a switch over to something currently held by Fine Gael and Simon Coveney. Or could it be something in education or higher education? So there is a lot of speculation. There, I think the changes at the higher level will be minimal, but there will still be a huge amount of intrigue. We will be talking about it a lot. Perhaps a little bit more room to change over at the junior level. Some people hoping for some elevation. An interesting point for Fine Gael, they've had some ministers who've been high profile for a long time. Will that be factored in? Will Leo Vradker feel that he wants to change some of the faces, present a, um, a different uh, front to the electorate? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, and of course, like from a Fianna Fáil perspective, and this is something they kind of talk about privately, if there is a straight rotation and they don't get foreign affairs or justice, well, then when it comes to Northern Ireland, Fianna Fáil has no direct role, government role. That will be difficult for the party. So on that basis, you would think the Taoiseach logically could be going to foreign affairs. And of course, if he is in foreign affairs, he'll be travelling a lot. And in 2024, there will be a commissioner's role up for grabs former prime ministers get good commissioner roles and if, especially if they're touring as foreign affairs minister wouldn't it all be very neat. You're really looking into your crystal ball there. Look into it um, in terms of one other uh, story that's cropped up this week the return of Bertie Ahern possibly. Yes. A decade ago Michal Martin was adamant you, you, can, you, can, you can have Bertie but you can't have me and you can't have Fianna Fáil. It's all changed now. He is indicating today you can have Bertie back. There is a significant group within Fianna Fáil who believe Bertie Ahern should be back within the fold. He has addressed uh, groupings of senators and backbenchers in the past and particularly with the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement that's going to happen next year. Niall Blaney at the PP last night, backed by Barry Cowan, says Bertie has to be brought back. And for the first time, Michal Martin held the door open today. It isn't the first time that he's begun to speak warmly of him. In recent months, Michal Martin has started to reference Bertie Ahern is that to do with the fact that he sees the reality that, a, that such a large group within the party want that and it's about consolidating his own position or is there something longer term in the strategy as well? And of course, we know that Bertie Hearn's been active behind the scenes, hasn't he, in terms of Northern Ireland and the impasse there? Exactly. And I think he has had something of a renaissance over the last couple of years as a Northern Irish, as a commentator on Northern Irish politics, on Brexit, the fallout, the Northern Ireland protocol. We have all been reminded of his insights into deal making uh, and the difference between what is uttered uh, publicly by all the politicians involved in trying to make some sort of deal and, and the reality of what could be struck privately. It was interesting, I was speaking to a Fianna Fáil TD earlier and uh, they said this is a really popular move within the party. They feel that it will appeal to that core Fianna Fáil voter, mm-hmm. that Bertie simply is a popular figure. The uh, phrase said to me was, well, time is a healer. It's been 10 years since um, Bertie Hearn resigned, but that he resigned facing into an expulsion motion and it was really bitter at the time and 
uh, particularly bitter between him and Michal Martin. But as uh, my colleague Michal said here just a few moments ago, uh, the Taoiseach was very uh, warm about Bertie Hearn this morning, speaking about his valuable insights. Yeah, it'll be interesting to it's see interesting because too, he was though. so triggering for so many people for yeah. a long time. What uh, when Michal Martin spoke about that, he has been in contact with Bertie Hearn in recent times. And of course, we did know in the previous government that Bertie Hearn was influential and was talking to Simon Coveney, Martin Manser as well in that time. Uh, Michal Martin kind of saying they are meeting, they are talking, but it's more at the level of meeting up at football matches and the like, showing still who is the boss when it comes to, to policy around the North. Uh, just speaking of the North, I mean, obviously with the Queen's death, um, a remarkable week, we had King Charles III uh, visiting the North and Sinn Féin, uh, Michelle O'Neill, certainly the DUP, annoyed at the media mm-hmm. attention that was given to uh, Sinn Féin's interaction with uh, King Charles III. Yes, we had that very funny moment when uh, Michelle O'Neill was uh, speaking to King Charles at Hillsborough and he said to her, well, you're you're in the leading party in Northern Ireland at the moment. And the, there was a little bit of nervous laughter and Alex Maskey uh, interjected, oh, don't say that in front of Geoffrey or something like that, because, of course, the DUP's Geoffrey Donaldson was standing right there. But it's been remarkable in the past week to watch the reaction of Sinn Féin to the Queen's death. It's seemingly very warm tributes no attempt to kind of put something in there for the grassroots, appealing to their grassroots. It has been very restrained, very respectful. And the party has come a long way since 2011 when Sinn Féin did not engage with the Queen's visit to Ireland at all. Uh, And interesting to hear that just in the last week that, speaking of Bertie Ahern, he said that Martin McGuinness had said several times to him after that that he regretted that decision, that Martin McGuinness felt that Uh, they should have engaged with the Queen's visit uh, to Ireland in 2011. Of course, it was one year later when Martin McGuinness and the Queen um, had that historic handshake at the Lyric Theatre in Belfast. Some hopes, perhaps, of possibly a chink of light on the protocol, but we leave all that for another day. One thing, uh, we were getting quite different reactions, actually, from the Thánaiste and the Taoiseach this week, Michal, uh, was on this report uh, from the Commission on Taxation. And it made an awful lot of headlines um, around the place. And we had politicians, uh, if you like, coming in with the reaction and dismissing a lot of uh, some of those proposals uh, first. But it was basically addressing the question it had been asked by government which is the fact that the state is getting bigger and bigger. So in the medium to long term, how do we pay for that? And they said, well, you've got to look at expanding your tax base. And they were looking at things like land and property and capital is the fairest way to go. But reaction. Thomas didn't like it. He didn't like what he saw. He didn't like what he heard. Uh, and in some ways, to, to borrow Kathleen Lynch's description of Pat Rabbit back in the day, there was a sense of who's the brightest boy in the class here. Uh, when he saw it, he, he did like in some of the proposals to what you, what he said you'd find in a Sinn Féin manifesto. Michal Martin taking a far more lofty approach when asked about it today and saying that philosophically he could see those arguments around moving away from labour taxes to consumption uh, and property as well. I suppose the reality, though, even if you listen to some of Michal Martin's reactions about the different parts of the report that were leaked in advance. No one is quite embracing it in the short term either. It certainly won't be this budget, but will it be any budget in the lifetime of this government that will take up one of those proposals? It's uncomfortable territory, as we saw around the pension uh, debate as well. And of course, we do know now the government are going to set that state pension age Mm -hmm. at 66. There's an admission they have to increase PRSI payments. But again, all sides saying just not now. Yeah, except, except, except... Do you remember 2008, 2009, when maybe mm-hmm. you're, you're far too young, Sandra? But the, <laughs> I do remember. 
you know, and everybody kind of talking about how dependent we were on property taxes, but, you know, the property taxes kept rolling in and we're getting all these canary warnings now in the coal mine, aren't we, about our dependence on corporation taxes, not just corporation taxes, but now a huge proportion of our income taxes. Mm -hmm. We're talking about, as Michael McGrath said, a budget like no other after all those big COVID budgets. At some point, we may have to pay for it and we may not have corporation tax to help us. Yeah, it's interesting. There was another Commission on Tax and Welfare, I think, around that time, and it probably came up with similar uh, types of conclusions that were not implemented either. Sitting on a shelf near you somewhere. Exactly. So inheritance tax in particular is a really politically thorny one. Immediately, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael ran away from those recommendations to drastically cut the tax-free threshold. Leo Radker taking aim at Sinn Féin's policy in that area. Sinn Féin not as radical as you might expect. They only want to cut it slightly, but they will also up the rate slightly as well. So uh, is it going to happen? I think Pascal Donoghue talked about the medium term. No politician looks likely to touch it for now. Michal? Yeah, I, I think there is a reality, though, isn't there, that this government... It's scheduled and and penned in to run for another two and a half years. Perhaps there might be some question mark over that. But I do think elections are in the thought process. At the thinking that we're talking Mm -hmm. about the European and local elections. So decisions will be, you know, they will be influential in all future decisions. And the Taxation Commission isn't palatable in that regard. And yet, this is the context as well, isn't it? You know, in the have, we have a pretty consistent trend in the opinion polls at this stage that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael together, roughly around the same level of support uh, as Sinn Féin. We have a government where the numbers are tight. Yes, there's a reshuffle. Maybe that will keep discipline for a while. So, so how do you, I mean, the stability, the fragility, how do you read all that? Well, I think the fact that the government faces massive challenges and pressures, but it does have a bag of money for the short term. And they seem to know they have a bag of money until March at least. So it's not an austerity budget. So on that basis, and the fact that it won the confidence motion, 85 votes to 66, just before the Dáil recess, I don't see a massive pressure in the sense of the finance bill failing or anything. Indeed, many on on the Mm -hmm. side, perhaps in the opposition, will look to that finance bill and they say it's insufficient, you're not doing enough, but they they won't vote against it because it is providing some assistance to people. So it probably comes in the period after March if people have run out of money for quite some time and the government are struggling uh, to put further funds in place. Yeah, after March. Isn't that around the time that the um, Constituency Boundary Commission will be looking at and so TDs will start to find out within a short while after that who's likely to have a better chance than and who's not. Exactly. That's the type of thing that uh, TDs have nightmares about. They wake up the next day and find that they've lost a giant chunk of their territory or they maybe have to deal with uh, fewer TDs in their area, what, uh, something like that. So th- we are promised big changes. I mean, there's talk of at least nine, but maybe many more new TDs. And that redrawing of the lines really creates a huge amount of worry and people will have to absolutely mind their patch so that, yes, that is going to be a really rocky time. Sinn Féin, uh, and, and with, but they wouldn't say it publicly, say it would be good for the smaller parties like Fianna Fáil if there are more seats out <laughs> Ouch, ouch. And we don't want to be giving any TDs uh, nightmares about constituency boundaries. They're all back with a pep in their step, yes. aren't they? Looking forward to mm-hmm. Um And yes, actually, but the issue is the public mood. And already we've seen, you know, the Dáil term the marked with the usual protest, but obviously uh, some controversy about those this 
this year um, and we're going to have the start of cost of living protests. So it's going to be really interesting, isn't it, the balance between what's going on within these walls here in Leinster House and what's going on I think, out there. Um, ministers here looking at some of the countries in Europe uh, where there have been massive protests on the streets. We haven't seen that at all here. There have been cost of living protests for several months now. They've been, I, I suppose, well attended, but not very large numbers. So there will be interest. Certainly it will be watched to see are people going to get really angry about this? I think the whole issue with the energy bills is that people are beginning to get those bills. They've seen the high bills, but it's the constant warnings. It's the sense of anxiety that there's so much worse to come. And that is something that's going to cause unease amongst the politicians as well. Yeah, there are cost of living marches in Cork this Saturday and a in Dublin the following Saturday and for the first time uh, people before profit and Mick Barry of the Socialist TD saying this will be uh, on par with what happened during the water charges whether it will or it won't the fact that those kind of levels of protests are being talked about is interesting. Yeah, it's certainly going to be one to watch and we'll be watching it all and talking about it all uh, with you in the weeks ahead. If you enjoyed this podcast Please subscribe and leave a review. We'll see you on the RTE News Channel, on Facebook, on Twitter, or wherever you get your podcasts once again next week. So it's awesome.